Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this, your word, Thank you for preserving it for us through the ages that we might have it this morning read in a language that we understand. But Father, we come to you now and we ask for more than human, earthly understanding. We ask for spiritual understanding. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts or that we might be able to behold wondrous things from your word, that you would teach us and train us and correct us and even rebuke us for righteousness' sake, that we might be made whole, that we might be made more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh God, bless your people this morning. Bless the preaching of the word. And would you help me, oh God, your servant, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O God. You are my rock and my redeemer. And we ask all this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In my early 20s, I had a friend who really struggled with his sense of belonging in the church. Never really felt like he fit in. And he was convinced the reason why was that the church should look like what he saw in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4. You can look at those if you want, but to summarize it, here we have a picture of a group of people who had everything in common, who were devoted to the word of God and to the sacraments who were in regular and meaningful fellowship with one another and who were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to anyone who was in need. You see, in his mind, this community was the ideal Christian community, a a gathering of haloed saints living together in perfect harmony, never divided, never wanting, and never scandalized. So he would often say to me and to other friends, when I find a church that looks like that, I'll finally have found my church. Well, if you know those passages, you know that there's indeed practices of this early Christian community that must be aspired to and shared among churches, Christian communities even today. But just as I often warned my friend, we have to be careful not to overly romanticize 
what we see there. Because it wasn't necessarily the utopia that he had made it out to be in his mind. If you've read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll know this. (laughs) It doesn't take long to see that there was indeed division. Remember, Judaizing zealots rose from within the ranks, marginalizing Gentile converts by insisting on adherence to ceremonial laws. There was indeed want. Widows were being neglected in the distribution of food. And there was indeed scandal. In fact, the very beginning of chapter 5, which follows the, uh, the explanation in chapter 4 of the church, tells us about Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the apostles about the field that they sold. And there was even Paul and Peter. Remember, Paul had to confront Peter publicly when Peter withdrew from eating with Gentiles. You see, as wonderful as that early Christian community was, it was still a community of sinners, sinners who were prone to sin, a community of people just as much in need, daily need, hourly need of the grace of Jesus as we are today. So I often wondered if my friend was truly sincere in his belief or if there was something more to the story. Well, I I had it, but I'm going to refrain from overwhelming you with all kinds of statistics and anecdotes about the state of the church today, but we'll just suffice it to say that by and large, many people do struggle with their sense of belonging in the church communities in which they attend. And I know there's many reasons for this, and certainly... Some of the reasons are valid. There's true fault to be laid on people and leaders alike. But I do believe that there is one reason that undergirds every other reason. You think of it like this, just as many diseases have a common shared symptom, I'm suggesting that there is also a symptom that lies at the heart of our understanding of belonging today, our understanding of belonging to community. And since we're doing a series on this, you won't be surprised when I say that I believe that symptom is discontent. It's a lack of satisfaction with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ and his body to which we belong. I wouldn't dare try to solve all the issues that confront people and confront churches today, but I do believe from God's word that he's called me to expose for you two fundamental truths, two fundamental truths from this passage in Ephesians that inform and transform our comprehension of our sense of belonging, the sense of belonging that each And every one of us can and should experience in the church community today. So if you're taking notes, here's the first. The first fundamental truth is that we are brought to the church by God. We are brought to the church by God. 
to fully understand this truth, we have to look backwards from verse 19. We have to look back at what comes before. So if you want to glance your eyes up there, we'll break it into two parts. Verses 1 through 10, the first part, Paul makes a case that before any of us come to faith in Jesus Christ, before that happens, he says that we were spiritually dead. He says that we were dead in our sins and, and by nature we're children of wrath. We are completely unable, repeat that, we're completely unable to save ourselves by our wills or by our works. And then comes two of the happiest words in the Bible, right? But God. But God, he says. But God made us alive together with Jesus Christ. So then it is by grace that we are saved. Through the the supernatural gift of faith. And so his point is this. It is solely... Because of God's mercy that we've been transformed from death unto life. And then in verses 11 through 18, he goes on to further apply this truth to the Gentiles. Expanding on this reality of God's mercy, he reminds them of some things. He says, at one time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. He says you were without hope and you were without God in this world. That's a lot, right? This is what characterized you. And then comes another blessed but God, but Jesus. And the coming of Jesus Christ, that is no longer the case for those who have this faith. Through his atoning work upon the cross, Jesus has reconciled them to God and to one another. He's he's broken down that wall of hostility that stood between them as Jew and Gentile, and even the wall that stood between them and God. Jesus tore it down. There's no longer a Jew-Gentile distinction between those who are being saved They all have the same access to one father. They've been truly reconciled by his atoning work. The church in Ephesus was Gentiles, Gentile believers. Paul's reminding them of this truth. And so with this in mind, he makes a glorious conclusion in verse 19. Would you look there again with me? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. As God's saints, as God's holy ones, as those whom God has saved, Paul is making the case that not just they, but we, okay, This this was preserved for us so that we would have it as well. Listen, we are fellow citizens and we are members of God's household. Fellow citizens and members of God's household. Let's think about those two things together for a moment. Because 
of God's work on our behalf, we've been granted a remarkably new identity. He says you're citizens of God's kingdom and members of his household. Those of you who have a passport know why you have a passport, right? You carry a passport to display to others, particularly other officials in other countries, that your country of origin is this country. So if you have a U.S. passport, when you travel abroad, you are saying that I'm a citizen of the United States. Also, you have a name. You have a name. A name likely shared with others, maybe many, 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 many others throughout many generations. You bear a name, and that name marks you as belonging to a particular family. So think about this. As Christians, we have the seal of the king upon our hearts. We have the seal of the king upon our hearts, and it grants us access to all the rights and all the privileges that flow from him and his grace. We have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to Jesus. We didn't earn this new citizenship. There wasn't a prerequisite amount of time we had to spend in this kingdom. There wasn't some test we had to take, some work we had to do. No, he gives it to us freely because he's chosen us as his own. And if what Paul said is true, and it is, we didn't choose to marry into this family on our own either. Well, we did. But by nature, we wouldn't have. We were at enmity with God. That God made us alive. He opened our eyes. He moved us from death to life. And we said, yes. I believe. I believe. And we took a new name. By God's power alone. He took you and I. He took us, strangers, aliens, spiritual orphans, and he brought us into his fold. He brought us into his fold. Being the great shepherd that he is, Jesus sought us out and he carried us on his shoulders safely home. He brought us to his father's country and to his father's house. And he says, welcome. To say it another way, God brought us into his community. God plucked us out of the world and brought us into his community. And of course, the new covenant or new testament expression of this community is none other than the church. The church, which is the body of Christ. So while Christians are spread out across the globe and even spread out among various communities together, all the Christians, the true believers around the world, represent Christ's body, the church. So sometimes we might refer to the church with a capital C, and we're saying all the church, the universal church, all those whom Christ has saved. But more locally, more kind of right here, right now, together, We are an expression 
of his grander body. Or as I often say, we're a corner of his kingdom right here and right now. So what is this fundamental truth that God has brought us into the church? What does it have to do with contentment? Well, there's some realities we have to face. And a somber reality is that we live in an age where church shopping is just as common as clothes shopping. It's like going to the mall, right? Do people go to the mall anymore? I used to go to the mall. There's all kinds of places, all kinds of styles, things to fit our preferences, our size, our shape, the color we want. Furthermore, we live in an age where long-term commitment and lasting satisfaction are generally wanting and wasting. The digital age has made us quite fickle. So in our discontent, what do we do? In our discontent, we allow ourselves to become consumed with finding just the right community that meets every single one of our expectations, every single one of our desires for ministry, and whatever other criteria we hold to. Are my ministry boxes checked? Are my other needs checked? And listen, I'm not condemning needs. There are biblical needs. There are appropriate expressions and ministries and other criteria that we definitely want to measure a faith community against, right? We want to make sure that they are these things. For, for us, it would be, are they holding to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our church's statement of faith? There would be a place we would begin. And of course, there's more than that, but that's just an example. Well, what I find even in my own heart at times, and what I see as I talk to people is that we're not always careful. We're not always careful. We tend to wrap our sense of belonging up with some set of values that we've devised on our own, values that reflect our own insecurities and our own fleshly desires, those things, rather than our spiritual security in Christ and a, a godly desire to glorify him in obedience to his calling and his provision and his placement. So Christians, what I want you to hear this morning, what I want you to know is that you do indeed belong. You belong. You have been brought into the church, capital C, church, by God. If you leave here with nothing else this morning, remember that you are a citizen of his kingdom and you are a member of his household. I want you to be fully satisfied with your place there. Embrace all that he has for you as your child. I want you to rest in the rights and privileges that he affords you. That is the root of your belonging. And it's a root that will continue to go deeper as we continue into the next several weeks of this series. And then when you come into a particular church like this, this church, the Granville Chapel, 
don't be too obsessed with what this body has to offer you. But instead, be satisfied with what God is providing for you through your fellow citizens and fellow siblings who sit in the pews all around you. You're not here by accident. You are not here by accident. Some of you are visiting. Some of you are longtime members. Some are out of town and not able to be here. When you hear this later, no, you're not here by accident. He has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's called you here, even today, to remind you that you belong. You belong. You belong to him. You belong to his kingdom. You belong to his family. You belong to his body. And because of that, you belong here too. And listen, I know. I know because I've been there. I've wrestled. I've wrestled with unmet expectations. I've wrestled with difficult circumstances that they just scratch away at us, right? And they even rob us of our sense of belonging in a particular place. And it's hard And if that is true for you, I'm sorry. Let's talk more about that. But we're talking big picture here as well. I don't want anyone leaving this place this morning not knowing that you belong. Your ultimate sense of belonging can and is satisfied in knowing that you do belong to God. And you belong to his community. You belong to the body of Christ. And that's our first fundamental truth. You were brought to the church by God. The second is the church is built by God. The church is built by God. This truth is quite evident in the language that Paul uses in verses 20 through 22. He says uh, in verse 20, we are built on the foundation. And then in verse 21, he references the whole structure, which is being joined together grows into a holy temple. And then finally, in verse 22, notice he says, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Throughout these verses and these references to building, the emphasis, and you don't need to know Greek for this, you can know this by just looking at the English, the emphasis is clearly on the fact that God is the one who is doing the building. God is the one who is doing the building. The cornerstone of what he is building is Jesus Christ, And the purpose of what he is building is to be a dwelling place for him. And by his spirit, notice what he does. He he brings the various pieces together and joins them together. He molds them as he sees fit. We often overlook that, don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, we know God's the one doing this. God is doing it. God is building his church. I find that to be very comforting. So much of our discontent 
with the church and so much of our sense of belonging in a particular church rests in what? Our discontent with how the church functions, what the church does, how it doesn't live up to what it's supposed to be. We all have our ideas of what a church should be doing. Sometimes I think, man, if our services were like four hours long, I'd just like go around and and interview everybody. What do you think the church should be doing? What's the number one thing the church should be doing? It'd be interesting to collate that. And you know, most of those perspectives, and I know most of you, would come from a biblical perspective and they would be good. They would be good. There'd be things that, yeah, we need to be doing. But what I find is that all too often, we're actually really impatient with what God is doing. We don't stop and smell the roses, as they say. Focused on the next thing. I'm reminded of a, my notes is a story, but it's real. The church pastor had a vision to start a school in their community. There's no Christian schools in this community. We're going to start a school. Got the elders on board, and so he began to push the vision from the pulpit. Almost every sermon ended with an application of, y'all need to get busy helping with this school. We need to build a school in our community. The elders are on board, but the people were not. They were called on to give special offerings to the financial needs of starting a school. People were asked to consider leaving their vocations to work in that school. And people were pressured to reach out to others. Not, not, not lost people who need to know the gospel or wondering Christians who don't have a home. No, they were told to reach out to people who you think might be good workers and teachers in this school. Recruit them to the church. For several years, several years of striving toward that vision, not much money was raised. In their frustration, the elders were discouraged by the people's response and began to distance themselves from the members, not loving and caring for them as they should. And ultimately, the pastor took his ball and went to play somewhere else. He left. Took his vision with him. He left the church struggling, ultimately incapable of continuing. And it's no longer a particular church. It's a, it's a sad story, but it's a common story. It's a very common story. If you think about that, is starting a school a good vision? It is, it's a good vision. But I can't help but be reminded of Psalm 127.1. Some of you have memorized that. Listen to what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Starting a school was a good vision, but circumstantially, though, it became clear that this was not what the Lord wanted to build. We're not talking about a knee-jerk rejection of it and we need to retell the vision. No, it was rejected for a long time by God's people. 
So why did they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it? Was it stubbornness? Was it misdirected faith? Was it something else? Oh, we can't really know for certain because we don't know their hearts. But we can learn from what happened. And this is what we can learn. In all of our desires to build community, in all our efforts to push ahead with the vision that we believe God has given to us, and all of our striving to make the biggest impact for Christ that we feel called to do, we must always yield ourselves to this fundamental truth. It is God who builds his church. And while we are often the instruments, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, instruments that God uses to do the building, we must never forget that we are also living stones, stones that he's using, that he's putting together, that he is taking and building his dwelling place here on earth. I'll sum it this way. God has us in his hands. We do not have him in ours. God has us in his hands. In my study this week, I came across a question that just kept gnawing at me. Ever have that happen? You read this, you're like, that's deep. And so I shared it with some close friends, and some of them had time to get back to me, and we had some good discussion about it. And this was the question. How often do we think of community as an ideal to be pursued, while at the same time neglecting the community into which we have been placed? Big question, I'll ask it again. How often do we think of community as an ideal to be pursued while at the same time neglecting the community into which we have been placed? Commenting on this question, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and I quote, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of Christian community, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. You see, sometimes we get so consumed by what we think our church should look like or what we think we should be doing, that we only fuel our discontented hearts and set ourselves up for all kinds of disappointment. And eventually, when we get disappointed enough, we just go look for other communities to scratch our itch, whether it's in the overwhelming number of churches that are available, particularly in this country, or the overwhelming number of organizations that you can go and join and do all kinds of things. Organizations that readily welcome new people to pasture. But all the while, and I've experienced this myself, that satisfying contentment that I'm looking for, that I'm searching for, is actually a lot like that football that Lucy holds for Linus in the comic Peanuts. Some of you recognize this reference. He gets up enough courage this time. She's actually going to leave it there, and I'm going to kick it. And he runs to kick it, and what happens? She pulls it away, and there he goes, whoop, falls right down on his back. 
thought he had it in his grasp, and then it's gone. Does that sound familiar? Maybe some of you were kickers, and it sounds really familiar. But does it sound familiar? That pursuit of contentment and community uh, just gets yanked away. Friends, we, we must learn to be satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ and in his body, even while we patiently wait for him to do his work in his time. And listen, this isn't a call to apathy. It's not a call to just settle. It's actually a call to action. It's a call to spiritual faithfulness. As I said before, you're not here by accident. By God's grace, God has brought you into his kingdom and into his family. And he's even brought you right here into this corner of his kingdom and this part of his family. So maybe the questions we should be asking is, what gifts has God given me that he wants me to use for his body here? What passion do I have stirring within me that God may actually be stirring within others? How might God make all of us so satisfied in him together and all that he is for us in Christ Jesus together, make us so satisfied that we actually find ourselves experiencing a new unity of purpose? a refreshed calling to share our lives and share the gospel with people in our community. Imagine what could happen if we would truly rest in the truth that not only do we belong to God, but rest in the truth that we truly belong in this church. And we believe that he has. And we believe that he is. And we believe with all our hearts that he will continue to build something truly wonderful right before our very eyes. Not because we can say, look what we did. But we say, not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to you be all the glory. And as a pastor and the pastor of This local church, that is, as I often describe it, extraordinarily committed to the ordinary means of grace. And what I mean by that is committed to the authority of Scripture, the worship and fellowship of the saints, and growth and grace and knowledge of God's people. As the pastor of this type of church, I long, I desire for God's people to say, in contrast to my old friend, what I had to hear all the time, I want to hear people say, I have found the kind of church that is my church. I have found that. I long for each and every one of you to find rest, to find divine contentment in knowing that you have been brought into Christ's church by God and that God is indeed at work building that church by calling you, you who are citizens and saints and members of the household of God. I long for you to embrace the call to be satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus Christ. I long for you to use your gifts to build up the body. I long for you to be used by God in amazing ways to further the gospel in our community. I long for you to love this church 
and to love the people that God has called to be with you here. Will that be true of you? Will that be true of me? For his glory and for the good of us all, may it be so. Amen and amen. Would you turn in your bulletin?